Hi Graham, welcome to Paratalk. Uh, first things first, how did your podcast begin? Hi Reeves, um, thanks for having me. My podcast began, well Tales of Britain Island, it's just to tell you a bit about it first of all I suppose, yeah. is a podcast that tells myths, legends and folklore from across Britain and Ireland um, and I always say every episode throughout all of their history and in no particular order. So I tell stories as I find them and the episodes have variable lengths to them, tending to be about an hour long. And sometimes I'll tell one story in episode. Sometimes I'll tell three or four even. And sometimes there'll be stories that are too long for a single episode and I'll split them over three. I tell them in a, a kind of modern style, I suppose. It's got a bit of humor to it, but also serious and building tension where I can. The stories I tell are really picked from all over the folklore myths there's some from manuscripts there's some from old irish uh, legends there's some from 19th century folklore there's even some from 20th century folklore but anything in that kind of area and try and make it into a good story that's enjoyable to listen to a modern audience i suppose is what i'm trying to trying to do really it feels like i should have some fantastic origin story um i really don't it's kind of a a, a pretty dull one as a child i was very interested in all of this kind of stuff. There was a, a lot of kind of influences I had, I suppose, as a kid, which was things like the very first song I ever remember was the song Thomas the Rhymer by Steel Ice Spam because my dad was mega into folk music. And for that brief period of time when our interests aligned before I thought, oh, no, I've got to get rid of this and find my own thing. I also really enjoyed that. So there's a bit of that. I was into fantasy. Um, I read Irish myths a lot as a child. I was into fighting fantasy books. And then from there, I kind of went really hard for a good few years into the paranormal stuff. We were having a little bit of a chat before this show, and I think yeah. it's similar things to that. So stuff like the unexplained, and there were Usborne books fantastically illustrated. I'm sure you know the ones oh, I mean, yes. full of pictures of ghosts and monsters, and those just captured my imagination. And at about that time, the X-Files came along. And it was just like from there, oh, for a good five, six, seven, eight years of my life, um, that, the X-Files, and then Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And those things just kind of took over my life. And I was obsessed with those. Um, Terry Pratchett is probably the other massive influence on me as a kid, I think. So I had this interest in all this kind of stuff from fantasy and folklore and that lot. And then, as you do, I moved on in life and not really forgot about it. I mean, I was still into Game of Thrones, as I think we all were, that kind of thing, but didn't do much with it. I find it hard when you ask me this question to think about how this how this really started. Yeah. At some point in my life, I had a new job and I was I just found myself um, reading a few different things. It was pretty much reading. Um, there was a few books that I picked up and I found myself getting into, one of which, oddly enough, to start off with a my partner reminded me of it just before I came on this episode, actually, was Lord Halifax's Ghost Book, which is a hilarious collection of ghost stories told in a very peculiar way. It's got a lot of talking about how their titles are and stuff. It's this weird, rambling storyteller. And we'd read each other bits of this of an evening, and it would just amuse us. So I had that. I also ended up rereading Lady Gregory's Gods and Fighting Men, which mm -hmm. is her kind of big take from, you know, the early early 20th century, which where she really went hard on writing a narrative to uh, particularly the mythological cycle and the Fenian cycle of Irish mythology, which I'd loved as a kid. And I came back to this and I discovered so much more in it. And when I came back to that, I was also interested to see where she'd got her sources from. And lo and behold, I went on the internet and something that wasn't available as a child, I found 
the 19th century translations that she was working from and um, other variants of these stories. And I got really into that. At about that time as well, I also picked up a Richard Barber's book, Myths and Legends of the British Isles. And yeah. in that, I discovered the Albina story. And I think the Albina story, if um, very quickly summarize, it's how Britain was big spoilers here. There'll be a lot of spoilers throughout this for my podcast and for stories <laughs> centuries old. It tells the story of how Britain was founded by some justified murder princesses who ended up having a good life where they had sex with these fantastic sex demons they found on an uninhabited island after being chucked out of Syria. And that story was just like, this is great. And then once again, I was like, oh, I'll go on the internet, see, see whether this is, is this really what this was? Look up the original manuscript sources translated into nice readable English, of course. And then I found myself doing this more and more. And it's in this time, podcasts were a, very much a thing. This was like 2017, 2018. And I was just spending more and more time doing this. And I was listening to a couple of podcasts by that point in this area, uh, the Folklore Podcast by Mark Norman. I'm sure you're very well aware of that. That yeah. was a, a big one. And also uh, Jason Weiser's Myths and Legends podcast, which is a, an American podcast, wildly successful, absolutely brilliant, where he tells stories in a similar way to how I'm doing it. And, and I've come second. There's, there's absolutely a little bit where I've taken his idea, but not a little particularly original idea, and run with it. And I just thought to myself, you know what, I'm reading so much about this in my spare time. I'm getting these stories. And I was ending up telling friends them in pubs and stuff, um, which had, you know, some of that reaction was like, oh, why the hell are you telling me this? Which made me think maybe I shouldn't be doing this. But others thought, oh, well, this is this is great. And both of those things led me to think, hey, maybe I should try doing this as a podcast. And so even though it's not a very interesting origin story, there's the lengthy, <laughs> lengthy description of how it started. And I did. And I'm still here. Uh, I've I've got something to add to that actually um, because if you go back a few years when you were it, staying when you were a young person, I, I always with with folklore with legends with myths for me uh, the first sort of inkling apart from the library the school library where you would you know get your books out and stuff for me when I first started to learn about legends and myths I uh, it was through computers and computer games. Because fantasy lore and all that sort of stuff was used quite a lot in computer games, especially uh, text-based computer games where, you know, you would be a knight or whatever. And there was always a little bit of mix of that kind of fantasy and lore in them because, you know, you use your brain as well because, you know, imagination. But the, the other question I was going to ask, do you remember those books that you could buy? Maybe I'm a little bit older, but you, there were these books that you could buy and they had the make your own story. And you would read the story, the fantasy story, and then you would choose which way the story went. So, yeah, so that's, I think I, I may have skipped over that. That's the, that's the fighting fantasy books. Yeah, uh, yeah. Ian Livingston, Steve Jackson. And I had a whole pile of them, which I, which I sold at a car boot sale when I was like 18 for about 50 pence, you know, for the job lot. And I regret bitterly to this day but no i was very big into those and uh and at the same time i was getting into board games and computer games you're right i think yeah i think in terms of both folklore and the supernatural the world of gaming as a whole is very important for keeping it alive and yeah. i think you see that a lot today um with things like well the witcher and elden ring and mm. skyrim that you know use folklore mythology roll it up into to different packages and then 
and that's how a lot of people encounter this stuff and, and in a very positive way in which yeah. they make these things fascinatingly interesting and give you a visual representation of it which is absolutely brilliant i think and magic the gathering is another thing that i used to play to my considerable cost which <laughs> which was something that, that that very much the illustrations on some of that and and they very much reference folklore because of course they do because that's where they're getting this stuff from yeah. they'll open a book and take a creature's name out and then make it up very very much so yeah i, I recognize that very very much i'm going to ask quite a uh well it sounds like a simple question but i think it's going to be quite difficult for you to answer uh, if someone came up to you in the street and they knew what you did, but they asked you the question, how would you describe your podcast? Is there a single way that you could say, well, I only do this. Uh, it's, you know, I talk about legends because I mean, I've listened to quite a lot of your episodes and you do cover quite a wide variety of stuff within the law of, mm -hmm. uh, you know, within folklore, really. Yeah, I, I think in terms of my topic, I would struggle to pin it down because I leave it open. It's it's Britain and Ireland based. Um, I've I, I've recently realised that I, I could just call it call an episode Britain and Ireland on tour and then do things elsewhere, which I'm probably going to do soon. So if, I've not not even restricted myself that much, and I've certainly had things set elsewhere by the fact the story came from Britain and Ireland, and likewise. I'm not going to limit myself to the Arthurian legends just because somebody happened to write them in uh, Brittany or France. So there is that geographical limitation to it. But otherwise, it really is stuff that takes my interest. I definitely think it's true to say that I stick to stories involving some element of the supernatural, almost always. That's what interests me, I suppose, in many ways, or the fantastical. It's very easy on a podcast like mine to start talking about these as if these were the folklore. But obviously, the folk stories that were told in the past were, by and large, realistic-ish stories yeah. of the same kind of stuff today about people's relationships to each other, about murders, which I've not even covered, and are just about things like you know that, that could happen. Realistic stories. And I will stay away from those um, generally because... They can be great stories, but I just don't feel it quite fits what I'm doing. And before you asked me that question just then, I don't think I've ever thought of that in that <laughs> way before. Um, I, I've done that completely subconsciously, which I think is uh, my, my process such as it is, is largely subconscious. And that's that's one of them. Um, so, so that in terms of the topics I cover, in terms of what I'm doing with it, I, I've struggled to come up with this, but... A few months ago, somebody wrote a review, and I'm not trying to blow my own trumpet here. Genuinely, I just think that this captured what I was trying to do in a way that suggested to me I was managing it with somebody, and it's much better than anything I've ever come across with. So it, uh, I'm just going to read this, basically, yeah. quote, quoted out, quote, cinematic scene setting and moments of genuine tension told in a modern voice with lots of funny asides and a tongue-in-cheek scepticism for fairy tale morality but with an obvious love for the source material throughout yeah and yeah i i was like oh god that's what i'm doing fantastic i, I didn't i've not taken that person's name down i might give it to you after but i thought great yes that is what i'm doing so that's what i'm trying to do and i'm trying to make people want to listen to the stories not just listen to them as an aspect of folklore, which which is a different way of doing it and is a very interesting way in itself, you know, just to hear the stories. But I want to make them an enjoyable experience. I think really I'd love to have, I'd love to film them. I'd love to have the budget to just, a Netflix series of the Fenian cycle would just be, oh, the, 
most amazing thing. But uh, <laughs> but that's an aside, and I think that comes across in in what I'm doing with the storytelling. I mean, yeah, I've listened to enough of your shows to uh, agree with what that person wrote. I mean, the, you, you do set a scene, and it, the imagination is a powerful tool. And when you do listen to them, uh, you can kind of put yourself in there. Um, regarding the stories, um, off the cuff, because uh, this is a really a, more of a personal question, what would you say was the oldest story that you've covered? Oof, uh, the oldest story that I've covered. Some some aspects of the Irish stories, I'm trying to think if I've touched them, certainly go back um, to about the 6th, 7th century, um, you know. Yeah, a long time CE, ago. CE, yeah. that, kind of, that kind of time period. I think others of them have aspects that go back much further. Uh, I think when you're talking about the story of, um, well, Tamlin, for instance, which has lots of change uh, changes in it, a bit of yeah. a person changes into different shapes, that motif appears in stories that we can trace back. And a lot of the stuff we can trace back is obviously to Greek and Roman sources. So you've got things like that appearing there. So in story as a whole of where you can trace it from, probably somewhere in the kind of 6th, 7th, 8th century. I've definitely, there are manuscript sources where I've taken it from, which is where you're at the 11th century, which is, you know, you're getting pretty modernish English written and Irish indeed written sources where you can trace it directly from. But these ideas go back far further. And I think there's also an element whereby a lot of people hearing that might be surprised when I talk about like the Mabinogion, which is Welsh mythology or that's how it's bagged today. And you would say that that, Aspects of that, people would argue, go back far further without looking to Greece and Rome on these islands. The actual evidence for that is slight, but I think there's there's certainly a feeling that some of the characters in that will definitely go back further, even if the medieval records that we've got them from only go from the 12th, 13th century when people were writing this kind of stuff down. I've got a good one here. It's another off the cuff, but it's a really good question. Modern day, I suppose, religion... If you look at all of the religions around the world, they all kind of have a very similar underpinning of a base story. And this that story is usually reasonably the same. Not identical, but reasonably. When I know your um your your show primarily sticks to Britain and Ireland for, for you know for folklore stories, but we want to include Wales as well, in Scotland, the British Isles. Um so when you do these stories and you've done enough by now do you see a kind of a, a very similar narrative that tie all of these stories so you might have a uh, a legend that comes from maybe scotland uh and then you have a legend that comes from england and um, but when you put those stories and you sort of break them down you think yeah but the stories are different but the under underpinning the law is kind of the same yes and no there are stories that I absolutely recognise that in, very much so. Things that you see not just in in Britain and Ireland, I mean, or, or the specific area they come from usually, yeah. but that you see replicated across not just Europe, but the world. There right. are stories where you can see you can see similar stories appear basically everywhere. Um, and while my own knowledge doesn't extend far beyond the boundaries of Europe, I'll, I'll be honest, when, when I go to looking at faraway places, I, though I absolutely love Chinese mythology, I read it as a person who just gets dug in. And I don't think, I, I don't know it, I just read it for the enjoyment of yeah. it. I don't know the underpinnings of that. But you find similar stories 
from there as well. So there are definitely things that are getting passed around because a good story is a good story and yeah. it gets passed around and it gets changed. But at the same time, you get things that are pretty much completely unique. Um, and I think there's a bit of a danger in going too far to say, oh, this has got the same thing. So it's basically the same story. You know, the the stuff where, oh, every every Western's the same because it's got it's set in set in a specific bit of America and it's mm. got um, a gunfight and uh, and yet radically different. The story itself can be completely different. You can do completely different things with that. Um just thinking of examples that of things that crop up only only a couple of times. Kate Crackernuts, which is one of my favourite fairy tales, is something that only really that story in that format has combined both of those aspects because it's got bits, um, ideas. This you've got the whole Arn Thompson classification of these tales that tries to neatly set these into specific baskets. And I think what that does is it brings out themes, but those themes are then reused in. And what you have is you have something that's just just totally different. And in Kate Crackernuts, you've got themes um, that appear in lots of different stories about dancing um, princes, about being kidnapped by the elves, and about wicked stepmothers and all of that. But the story that you get at the end of that, which is an the ugly stepsister, essentially saves the good kind of Cinderella-type character. She's the one who does all the saving, and she wins the prince and saves the prince who can't do anything. That is a story that's fairly unique, and it was handed down in a in a way of which it's a very short little piece of writing that was taken from one person um, up in Scotland at the somewhere in the end of the nineteenth century. But then what you've got then is a unique story, but also using all these themes that have come from throughout human history. And I think that's what people do, uh, and you you see it now, maybe almost certainly, in fact, more than ever, whenever any thing is released any shows released you've got fan art and uh, fan description you know all these uh, fan fiction yeah. and everything and people our flag means death has just come out or come out in the last few months and what the community's done with that's just taken their own creativity to this pre-existing thing and i think that has been going on undeniably throughout human history it's actually one of the things I think great about humans, they take these stories, they think, oh, what can we do with that? Can we, we could localize it. That's a thing people love to do. Oh, that actually happened at our church, at our well. And they can just add their own twist on it to make it interesting um, and different. So you get both. Did that answer your question? Uh, it did, actually. Uh, and it gave me uh, another uh, add-on question to ask. Uh, I wanted to, obviously, folklore and tales... We got you know, fairy tales and, of course, the fairies. Some people say, yeah, they're all fairies are all mad and evil and they'll steal from you and, uh, you know, don't get don't make them angry because they'll curse you. I was reading some I was actually listening to a show the other day where they were talking about how the fairies would uh, ride. Uh, uh, I think it was beagle dogs into battle. Uh, completely bizarre. Oh. Corgis, corgis, corgis in Wales, it. isn't yeah. it? Yes, corgis yes. into battle. Yeah, that was just completely wow. Brilliant. I would love yeah. to see that. But um, fairies and the forest, fairies and the woods. Where? Mm -hmm. How far does that go back? Because it's always that relationship that the fairies live in the forest. They live in the woods. Does that has that always been a thing? The fairies definitely have had a connection to the forest for a good long time. They appear in in medieval sources in the forest. Uh, I'd say probably even stronger, though, is that the fairies live underground in some way. Certainly the... And this is where it gets tricky because you're actually grouping together so many different things on the same idea. But yeah. the ASG, the, the kind of Irish 
fairies and they're very similar beings they have always lived underground uh, in the fairy rafts and in the barrows and um, in fact the, the she is the, the same word where these come from so they've had that tie for a very long time as well yeah. but at the same time we find fairies you you go back uh, some of your very first mentions of fairies and certainly if you're getting into like 14th 15th century fairies are often in your house as well like Fairies have this this connection very much to the forest, but they crop up in your house as well. Now, I don't think it's the most common place for them to crop up, but uh, fairies who clean up after you or or who mess up the place, depending yeah. on which story you tell, um, have been a big thing for a long time as well. So, I think the fairies you are on you're just on dodgy ground if you start making any um, sweeping statements about the fairies. I, I'm actually going to go into this now, just 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 because I kind of um, okay. I have this written down. I yeah, just yeah. thought it was, it was worth doing. So for the, for the last couple of episodes on the fairies, I tried to reinvent the wheel and define fairies again. Good, goodness knows why, because every scholar uh, with far more years of experience than me tried to do it. And I was trying to come up with a, a set of categories that describe them. And, uh, and I think, just in case anyone listening isn't aware, by the way, the, the modern fairy with wings small, fairly consistent, reasonably consistent, isn't anything like, the creatures we're talking about that's a whole other topic it's actually fascinating how one became the other and just changed i think you do see that with the vampire as well that yeah. changes at some point in the 19th century and other figures and they're just different so the fairies that you had then and fairies are now they're not the same they're just radically different but even if we go back and look at the old fairies it covers a lot of things and i tried to kind of define fairies on the podcast episode anyway reinvent the wheel as i said so I came up with this definition. So in no particular order, I said that they were magical to some degree, varying in very slight magic that even humans don't find that impressive to near godlike omnipotence. They're humanoid, mostly, yeah. kind of-ish. They're intelligent, and I think that's key. They are an intelligent force that have emotions like we do. They are very often also invisible. That's a very common thing. And they're often associated with the natural world and live in an other world separate from ours, but accessible to it. And that set of characteristics was all I could come up with as this is the things that really mark them out. And what that is, it's, it's kind of a, it's things that are a bit like us, but a bit strange yeah, and a bit sometimes terrifying, but sometimes good. And we can fall in love with them or we can get into wars with them or we can encounter them on a dark night and, and they're the same as ghosts and sometimes they are the same as ghosts and, and they're just very hard to pin down so any generalized concept of fairy i think is uh is very difficult i'm thinking to myself has there in, in any stories been like fairy battles where you've got like one fairy clan and another fairy clan and something happens and they go to war some of the accounts collected by the Irish Folklore Commission uh, mention just that, mention the fairies from one place in Ireland going to war against the fairies in another place in Ireland. And that's not the old gods. That's that's definitely modern conceptions of fairies fighting each other. So that's definitely something that, that we see happen. You also see within fairy communities there can be quite a lot of animosity. The, the queen in Thomas the Rhymer, who is keeping her affair secret from the king, um, is also something like that. But yes, you definitely see fairies going to war against one another. It is a thing that we've seen before. And if you do kind of include the Irish gods in that as well, that's which is 
a whole other topic, but some people certainly think they're related, and that there's a good argument that they are, that that is a big part of what they do as well. So it's certainly something that we do see. So along with fairies, okay, if somebody came up to me and said uh, folklore, tales of, you know, yonder years, uh, tell me two things regarding folklore that always crop up, I would say, of course I would say fairies. The other thing I would say is black dogs, black giant black dogs and the omen that goes with them that if you encounter a black dog that someone, either you know you or someone you know, is going to die. Where, where where does that fit in? Where does the black dog phenomenon? Where does that fit in? Because that not only does that you find that in folklore, you find it in a lot of paranormal encounters as well. Yeah, I, I, this is one that I don't know a lot about. Uh, I'll I'll be honest with you, it's not a one I've really looked into at great length. My impression of black dogs is that they're obviously much more specific phenomenon than mm. the fairies, which covers so many different supernatural beings, and I don't. I don't want to say too much on this because my knowledge of it isn't great. But, yeah. but I certainly feel there's a lot of creatures like this, and the black dogs is one that's really captured our imagination in the 20th century. But if you go back and look at a lot of these stories that I'm that I end up reading in folk from the 19th century, black dogs definitely exist. But you've got other things as well. C- calves crop up a lot. You know, some kind of evil uh, omen by a black calf and sometimes they are named to be the same animal that just changes uh, its forms and and they will be quite threatening you get the same with um, with animals as well other birds as well will be one of the other ones so you get a lot of these uh, a generic term might be bogey beasts or boggles which is a very boggarts which is a very kind of la- a term that once again covers a lot of different things and i think the black dogs fit into them but they've really captured the popular imagination how that happened i'm not sure but yeah. i don't feel and and this could be wrong and, I, and i'm sure that uh, <laughs> i'm thinking of mark norman who's written a lot on this subject uh, might be able to say actually they were far far more important than i think they are but they don't loom large for me that much certainly in stories they're not something that crops up any more to me in the stories that I've covered than a lot of these other weird and wonderful creatures that that you get going back. People encounter all kinds of strange things that look very weird and wonderful, basically. Uh, as we're rapidly approaching the end of this episode, I have a few more questions that I'm going to throw your way. I, I was wondering, as re- regarding folklore, uh, the supernatural, and you growing up and having an interest in the supernatural... Have you ever experienced anything that uh, has made you think that's a bit weird? Yeah, yes, absolutely. I think uh, uh, I'd be surprised if anyone hadn't. I've got three things that, that came to mind when you uh, when you kind of gave me this question beforehand. Uh, okay, uh, and one of them is particularly weird. But let's start off with the, the more normal stuff. So, so I, I just, things that ch- have chilled me. One of the things that absolutely chilled me was when I was uh, staying away in a hotel, as I often did when I travelled on business as a boring businessman in one of those cookie cutter all right-ish hotels holiday inn or something like that used to do it all the time in yeah. the middle of the night one night knocking on the door i wake up and just think oh what's that you know shout out go hey, hello who's there you've got the wrong room or something like that knocking continues so i just walk up to the door pulling some clothes on from somewhere or, or, or other it's got a little peephole in it to look through and i've uh, i kid you not 
Yeah. Girl was standing there, little girl, white dress, black hair, spit of, uh, I can't remember her name, from the ring. That kind of like look. Covering her, Angus goes, mummy, mummy. And I went, I'm not your mummy. I'm not your mummy. <laughs> she goes, wrong room. And then I watch her turn and walk away. And this is obviously completely explainable, totally explainable, absolutely. And I... I did. I, I fell. I fell asleep afterwards, thinking, "Oh, this must have been explained." Well, woke up the next morning. Still don't know it was a dream. The whole thing felt wrong, really, really wrong to me, and it, it just felt chills about it to this very day. Absolutely explainable. The second thing I'm going to tell you, even more explainable, far more explainable. Um, this. Uh, I was only reminded of this because I was back in Whitby the other day, actually paying a little visit. Uh, it's a place I love a lot, and uh, I used to go to the goth festivals. What am I saying? It's only because of COVID. I'll be going back to the goth festivals, I'm sure. So I used to spend a fair bit of time doing that. So it's quite late and it's like on a Monday or a Tuesday when everyone else has gone home, got the cottage for a long time. Okay. And I was taking a walk by myself, just a couple of days holiday, down to anyone who knows Whitby, uh, down on the side where the Abbey is, all the way out to the sea, and then walking back. Um, and it was, it was late-ish, I don't know, 11, 10, 11 o'clock, something like that. And it was dark, very dark. This is winter where the Goths have their festivals. Walking back along that, so I'm facing the, the Abbey Steps, which is this, if you don't, I'm sure you do, but if any listeners don't, that is, it's the iconic steps up to the Abbey, you've got 199 yeah. steps, and it's very, it appears in Dracula films and all that kind of stuff. But it's uh, otherwise, it's a, there's holiday cottages and stuff around you, and yes, it's a little cobbled street, but it's not anywhere, particularly out in the wilds, very much not. No one else on the street walking walking towards those steps. And then around the corner comes this massive black dog. Absolutely huge thing. And I realised that I'm in Whitby. At the bottom of the Abbey Steps, there's a blooming bug. And I am I'm not a great believer yeah. in this stuff. And I see it and I just think, oh, f blood goes cold. And it stops and it stares. And I think, okay, it's only it's going to come around that corner any second now. And I cannot tell you whether I waited there for five seconds or two minutes or ten minutes, but I know that it's only never came around the corner. It turned around, it walked back. And then when I turned that corner, there was nobody there, no dog. There were, there were pubs. It could have gone to the, the place it'd come to had pubs in it. So, <laughs> but it was very freaky indeed. So um, that was. That was pretty weird. That was pretty weird. Yeah, that was uh, yeah very strange. And once again, almost certainly, completely logical explanation. Well, the only the, only, the, the, the other thing that comes to mind is just one of these things that where I'm kind of convinced, uh, or, or where where I feel the mind has a has amazing possibility to play tricks. Because this was this one doesn't doesn't make me shudder or anything like that. But oh my god, it was weird. I was at a um, family party in my own house when i was a teenager 14 15 that kind of age um during the day people are walking around the house absolutely everything's fine and my dad was going upstairs fought to loo follow my dad up the stairs go to the loo i'm just behind him he turns the corner i turn the corner and he's not there and i think oh I, and i feel so at that moment and it stuck with me all these years i i've never had anything i was like hang on Interesting. Um, he was standing in front of me, and this doesn't fit into a supernatural definition. It doesn't even make sense. Uh, and then I went downstairs, and yeah, my dad was in the kitchen or the living room or whatever, talking to the guests we had. 
even to this, I can remember I was just behind him. I was watching him. I'm absolutely convinced it's my mind playing tricks. And it's not, it's not a story you'd tell anyone at a party. Oh, this strange thing happened to me. You wouldn't burst it out like that. But it still sticks in my mind as the, the power of my imagination to create bizarre scenarios and standing there. And for the rest of that day, I just felt so weird. And I kept coming back to it. And I kept looking at him funny. And it was very odd experience. <laughs> but but I, I, I can just... I don't know what it is, and it's certainly not one to write up for anything. But you're not the only person. People have other people have experienced similar things with that phenomenon, where they have uh, had, you know, been with somebody, seen another person that they are with at the time in a different location, uh, and then that person seems to, you know, pop out of uh, existence uh, in that location, and the person is back at the original location mm-hmm. with no memory of or even knowledge of going to that location so yeah it's uh it is a thing and uh whether we trick ourselves yeah. in some way uh mm-hmm. i don't know but it is a fascinating uh it's a fascinating tale uh just a couple more questions regarding the um the supernatural and folklore i mean we talked about ghosts we talked about fairies but overall the supernatural kind of pushes folklore forward um do you think that that still re- plays a role in modern day I think in many ways that is what, as I said before, as I that's what I concentrate on my podcast. So maybe I've got a very blinkered view of this, but I am fairly sure that's what people love. They love the supernatural. They love things that are different, out of the ordinary, and that the desire for stories about that. And that is from the from the kind of low level supernatural mm. stuff. I, I, I think ghosts and even fairies and stuff like that to the the grand scale fantasy style. I think a story told to a child about a man and a woman trying to get together, or a man and a man, or a woman and a woman. But it's far better if you put a blooming dragon between them. All the dragon falls in the... You know, that, that instantly makes the story better and more entertaining. And good, I've, I've no psychologist to say why that is, but all those elements yeah. of it, introducing magic, introducing the supernatural. And, and I think, maybe I'm wrong, but I think maybe that's more today than it used to be. I think as some of these stories which are clearly related to real things explained differently um the illnesses and things that the fairies might cause or the the way that certain rock formations look the way they do or all that kind of stuff has been narrowed down by science i, I think those stories in the past had a genuine utility about explaining the world a lot of these not not all of them certainly not the most fantastical ones but they had a genuine thing that says look this is the way the world works there are dangerous things out there if you go near the pond you might die uh, it's because there's a monster lurking there but it, it's also true but nowadays when we look at the world from a much more scientific uh, lens uh, and when we have decided things that we that we don't want to believe in or whatever it may be that they've been pushed out i think that actually brings in tales that in the past might have just been a bit more this is how the world works and made them more fantastical and made them more enjoyable and then allowed people to do that great process of reinterpreting them you know what if the dragon isn't the bad person what if the person living in the bottom of the swamp isn't the bad person is the good person all that stuff that has given the material which is why um all this folklore is still so mm. relevant and, and, and I, you know i think it really is it's it's in it, you've got people like me who are doing oral storytelling of some description but we're really at the absolute fringes where of this stuff and it's the fact that this exists in the mainstream ghosts are 
so much of modern television and what we were saying before, video games, just uses this stuff. And it's just, uh, I, I think it's absolutely vital in what people oh, yeah. enjoy from it, I suppose. Not, not that there's anything wrong with stories that don't, but I, I, I feel it's absolutely, yeah, vital in keeping uh, the interest in folklore alive. And I realise, as I say that, I may have made a slightly controversial comment there, actually, which I didn't intend to, but I do feel that that's a lot of what drags people to folklore. And certainly speaking from my own experience, it is. Th though there's a lot more to the field than just that or anything that I'm doing far beyond yeah, uh, uh, the history of social groups and how people lived and all that genuinely good stuff what have you uh have we come to the end of this episode now i've still got my last question and uh, i wanted to ask you that what have you got planned for 2022 with your uh with your show and have you got any uh, new projects uh on the table uh yeah so i mean i, I don't release super regularly uh, with a podcast i try to uh the episodes are quite long and i try to make them as good as possible so i do spend a while doing my whole editing process so i'll continue to plug away at that and that's going to be the big thing there'll be a few more episodes this year definitely but i have also recently expanded into doing other things which is why i'm talking to you actually probably um but i'm <laughs> doing uh tiktok now uh don't know how that's gonna go but i keep publishing videos on various different topics and they get some decent engagement people stuff i've started doing recently is just simply saying here's your here's a county in england and i'll probably expand this out to scotland and ireland in time and these are some of the supernatural creatures from it um people pop up in the comments of that thinking oh that's great that's wonderful absolutely love it and i love doing it as well so i'll certainly keep doing that for a while uh see how it goes and i'm also finally i've been very reticent and um, before i began this project i didn't know of the existence of a live oral storytelling community i suppose that sounds very strange to anyone who's in yeah. that community but i heard a podcast i didn't know that there were still people who went around and told stories live to groups of people that mm. and there are, mm. there are there are quite a few of them there's a national society for storytellers actually which uh, was all news to me and i'm actually quite interested in maybe giving that a go it's surprisingly different having to do it in person rather than reading from a script but I'm working on a few scripts at the moment, and if I get brave enough and uh, have some drinks but not too many drinks, then I'll give that a go. Uh, hopefully by the end of the year I'll have done an event somewhere that people may or may not come to to hear me tell stories. So that's that's certainly awesome. in, the, uh, in the bag. Okay, Graham. Well, thanks very much for coming on to an episode of Paratalk. Very interesting stuff. Uh, if anybody wants to check out Graham, Make sure that you check out the links with this podcast because they'll be all links to his uh, website. Thanks again, Graham. Uh, I'm sure at some point you'll be back on uh, an episode and we'll catch up and have another conversation about fairy lore or something, something along those lines. But uh, yeah, until uh, next time, see you soon. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Cheers.